You're listening to Cherishing Scripture Podcast, a podcast that's changing society by cherishing Scripture. Why do you need to carry an amulet around in your pocket that says WWJD to remind you what Jesus would do? Isn't that the Holy Spirit's job? But it seems like a lot of men are trying to manufacture this difference as opposed to letting it naturally happen. Exactly. And the exactly Bible, right. the Bible naturally changes people and makes them different. In debates, when you get in a debate with someone, you know that you've won the debate when they turn personal. Yeah. They're attacking these preachers that are standing for their liberty. And right. when they can't find anything biblically wrong with this person, they start picking out other things. Yep. And if you don't think that those two things can overpower and overtake you, you're pretending. Right. And now here's your hosts, Pastor Brad Bailey, Adam Capps, Zach Taylor, and Jeremy Boggs. Welcome back to Cherishing Scripture Podcast. My name's Adam. I'll be hosting today's podcast. To my left, the illustrious Jeremy Boggs Jr., also known as the Bearded Baptist, also known as the guy who thinks that certain nine millimeter has the same ballistics as a two two three. I can prove it. We won. all right. Cut, cut. Adam, why are you always lying, guys? Jeremy here. Just want to let clarify something here. I do not think a five five six is faster than. A two two three. I, Adam and I have this, this uh, debate. Not really. I wouldn't say debate. I guess a conversation about why I run a five five six, or uh, why I run a nine mil and an AR platform instead of the two two three round. And here's why. Here's what I do. It's based. It's also based off of the round that I use. So, in my opinion. AR9s are better for close quarter combat and home protection than a 223, especially with the round that I run. I run this round called uh, Liberty Defense. It's a civil defense round. It's a 50 grain bullet that moves at 2040 feet per second. This is a 9 millimeter. On their site, they say compared to other top self defense rounds, the Civil Defense 9mm has 32-38% to 38% less felt recoil, 65-75% to 75% more velocity, 25-30% to 30% more kinetic energy, reduced over-penetration, more stopping power, and again this is compared to most or to other top self-defense rounds. They also state on their website that they created, they designed this round to create the maximum amount of damage to the two uh, and and tissue disruption as possible. They also state that uh, this explosion that this causes, that this round causes, as it creates rifle-sized uh, cavities. Uh, and to increase stopping power by tenfold. Following the explosion, the bullet fragments into a starburst-shaped pattern, creating multiple wound channels. And it goes on to list that this process also benefits in many other areas across the spectrum of things considered when talking about self-defense, such as reduced over-penetration and lesser than the risk uh, of unintended 
casualties, which is a risk, by the way, with 223 and 556. Having a lighter, it also has a lighter projectile and also leads to less muzzle flip for faster follow up shots. So, to sum this up, yes, there are 223 and 556 rounds that move way faster than 9mm, but there is. I, I and I never denied it. Uh, the low, but the lowest feet per second I have seen in a two two three is twenty seven twenty. In most realistic situations that we may face in a self defense, is going to be close quarters, and I would take my nine mil fifty gram bullet two hundred and two or twenty forty feet per second over a two two three in an AR platform any day there are also a few other reasons why i've chose this ar9 platform and if you're interested to know just comment down below or email me at info at brandonbaptisttabernacle.com and i will uh respond to these reasons why um other than that uh enjoy the rest of this episode the same ballistics as a 223 i can prove it we watched videos on that it's not the same that's a whole different to my right dr bradley bailey Brad Bailey, thank you. Brad Bailey. Bradley Bailey. <laughs> Dr. Bradford Bailey. And um, no Brad. computer. And Correct. on our B-roll camera, we've got Zach Efron, everybody. Give That's him a right. hand. You know, I, I hated, I'm not going to lie, I liked it, but I hated the B-roll camera because I realized how comfortable I sat. And now if yes. I ever eat a donut off you camera, you can actually <laughs> catch me. Drink coffee, ate yeah. donuts. Probably, I was drinking coffee. Probably yeah, so excavated your nose. We're all gonna, we're all gonna know. So now I'm stuck. Yes, so. sir. Yes, sir. All right, today we have a very interesting topic. Um, we're gonna talk about self-defense, specifically self-defense when it comes to believers. And the way we're gonna do this is we're just gonna, I'm gonna ask questions to particular members of the cast, and then we're just gonna go around the table and discuss it. Um, I think it's an important one. There are a lot of people who don't really understand, you know, when it comes to self-defense, what, as a believer, like, uh, are we allowed to, what are the limitations of it? Obviously there's a lot of limitations when it comes to the law of the land that we live in, and those need to be abided by. But what about when it comes to Christian? Cause we're not just Americans here. We're Christians. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important that we discuss it. I so, agree. uh, let's go ahead and get right into it. Sooner we start, sooner we're done. Right. <clears throat> so question number one is going to go to Jeremy Boggs Jr. Uh-oh. Are you ready? Yeah. He's got his Bible open to some passage that has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about. Maybe. Oh, yeah, you never know. Yeah. All right, Jeremy. So the Bible says in uh, Proverbs chapter 21, the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. So the question is, is preparing for battle futile if ultimately our safety is up to God anyway? And after and after you talk about this, Zach, if you don't mind chiming in to see what you have to say about it, and then we'll go to Dr. Bradford Bailey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I think I think it's still important to have to be some kind of prepared, because even though it is God who protects, and God it's God who provides, but I don't think He wants us to sit and be foolish. I mean, that's why He gave us a gun. That's why he gave them swords. That's why he gave them men um, to to protect themselves. So what he, do you mean by God gave them swords and guns? What is that? What do you mean? Well, everything God is God gives you everything you have. So um, 
he he's the one that provides the material he's the one that provides the the, nece- the necessities um and so um I, I i would say i would say that god i mean jesus even jesus that's what he he did he told them he said look go and sell what you have and go buy a, uh, mm. buy a, buy a or sell your cloak and buy a sword he did say that um so he uh he not sure the reference of that let's uh yeah, it was it's close right to before his, he was about to die. Yeah, yeah, it was getting close to the, close to the end of his his earthly life when he, uh, you know, there was the occasion where he said, uh, "If you live by the sword, you die by the sword." That was a right. rebuke to the apostle Peter. But there's a there's a separate motivation behind that. But, um, you know, he had actually told them, uh, living by faith was going to be a reality for them. Take neither script nor purse, and so on and so forth. But then afterwards. He came back and he said, if you don't have a sword, go and buy a sword because he knew the days were going to get dangerous for them. Yeah. We're going to get back to that, actually, that you, what you're bringing up right now. But um, that's interesting that you discuss living by the sword and dying by the sword. Boy, that that is a, a really deep subject that needs to be discussed, and I don't actually have that in my notes, and we may actually come back to that as well. Yeah. But, Zach, what do you, what do you think about, um, you know, where it says the horse is prepared for the against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord? What, how does that how does that um, measure into the believers and them defending themselves? Um, I, I think really safety is a more of a feeling or a mindset, uh, feeling safe. Um, we've talked about, you know, there's different ways uh, people feel safe. And I think ultimately uh, you shouldn't, I shouldn't place my uh, safety or my, you know, rely on the gun as my source of safety. I should really ultimately trust in God, but, uh, kind of, I kind of go back to what Jeremy said. I believe God has given us the ability uh, to use these items sure. uh, in a way of self-defense, but it's not something that I have now put in the place of God. I still rely on God for my safety, right? Uh, but I know that there are measures that He has allowed well me to have um, to defend myself if needed. Yeah, if He well, let you, right. come, if you came out of that situation, He provided safety for you. Well, it's kind of go. Ba- it goes back, and, and it's a application more so. But it goes back to saying that God will provide your daily needs, but then not working because God said He'd provide your daily needs. I believe God will provide your safety, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't protect yourself. Right. That's because a really good point your to to bring up, actually. But going back to what you were saying about. Um, safety being more of a feeling is that when it says safety is of the Lord, is that what the Lord is providing a feeling of safety or is there more to it than that? Yeah, I believe it's a, um, I, I find a source of comfort in the Lord. Uh, and that's what I do take from that is that, you know, the sense of safety or the feeling of safety and security, uh, even if it doesn't matter how many guns you have, um, ultimately, if you are placing your trust in money or in guns or in people, you're never going to have that true security and that true safe feeling. But uh, once you put your trust in God and understand that regardless of where you go, uh, God is going to be your protector. He's going to be your hedge of protection. I believe that there's a sense of safety that comes from that for the believer. Okay, So not exclusively a feeling of safety, but but that's mostly what you're getting from the idea of safety is of the Lord is that he gives you security and peace and, and right. that's where it comes from. Yeah, and from. I think that okay. kind of goes back to, you know, David, when he spoke a lot in the Psalms, he talked about, you know, 
the strong tower and the fortress that is God. Once again, talking yes. about a sense of safety that he gets from God. He said, even God though he was in, and even though he had weapons, yeah. uh, even though he had means to protect himself, he ultimately found his assurance and safety in God. I'm glad you brought that up because that's honestly what I was thinking about a lot was was how how much David trusted on God, and he actually mentions this proverb almost exactly in one of his psalms. I can't remember which one it is, but I'm sure that's where Solomon derived this proverb and collected it from. Was this one was probably directly from David? Yeah. So, Pastor. What do you think about this concept of uh, safety is of the Lord? Yeah, you know, I mean, David, uh, David, I, I think Zach hit the nail right on the head because da- David was talking about in the Psalms, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but I will put my trust in the name of the Lord. Mm. And it dawned on me sometime back that trusting in horses and chariots was not a Hebrew reference. <clears throat> Excuse me, that that uh, horses and chariots are an Egyptian, um, uh, are, are an Egyptian uh item and so are egyptian items um you had to go to egypt to get horses that's why one of the things that uh <clears throat> excuse me when they rebuilt the wall jeremy you're familiar with this when they re- rebuilt the wall around jerusalem it was uh, a very new feature for them to have a horse gate you know there was a dung gate horse gate you know so on and so forth and the horse gate was testimony to the fact that the children of israel had been to egypt too many times and had gotten horses from the nation of Egypt because that was their mode of transportation and that was their uh, military uh, device as well. And so when David says that, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, I don't think he's talking about the people of God. I think he's talking about the Egyptians that put all of their confidence in their weaponry, put all of their confidence in their military defense. And so um, should we have a sword? Yes. Should we have a shield? Yes. In fact, he advocates that in the uh, Armor of God discussion in the New Testament. But we do not trust in that sword and in that shield. It's like David with a sling and a stone. Right. You know, he said this battle is the Lord's, and so he had a we- he had he had adequate weaponry, um, but he knew that ultimately it was up to God to protect him. It was up to God to, to slay this giant because this was too big of a battle for him. That's that's good bringing up uh, David with his sling because had he been trusting solely in his weaponry, in comparison to Goliath, even even without the difference of stature between them, the difference of weapon was. Oh, was, technology was yeah, immense. entirely inadequate. You know, I mean, David was much smaller. But you recall in that story, they actually tried to fit him with armor. They tried to give him a sword and tried to give him a a, a, a male of a coat of armor that he could have worn out for defensive purposes and offensive purposes against Goliath. But you recall what he said was, "This is too big and too clumsy for me." And so he had trained with the sling and the stone and had become deadly with that and. And so when he goes out to face Goliath, he knows he's going. He said it, I'm going out in the name of the Lord. And he said, somebody's got to stop this uncircumcised Philistine from cursing the name of the Lord. But he used what he was trained with, what was comfortable in his hand, and what he had become an expert uh, an expert with um, and, and rejected other probably more capable uh, implements so that he sure. could he could use what he had trained with in his hand has well, nothing to do with Bible but um, I looked at Jeremy because we've discussed always caring what you train with right yeah, yeah. <laughs> well even yeah. about you know he said David trained with what he was used to there's another character that did the same thing and that's Shamgar he trained with ju- he the only thing he had was an ox goat and he killed right. 600 Philistines that's right so the farmer's tool. Oh, yeah, I am yeah. not. I'm not familiar with that story. What, what book is that from? Judges. He Judges. only has two yeah. verses. <laughs> oh, is that right? Book yeah. Judges, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go read that. Oh, so my next. Not a uh, familiar story, but it's a, no, it's a but good. It's one. a good one. My next question is for Zachary Taylor. 
So, um, Zach, my question is, what is the role of lethal and non-lethal when it comes to Christians and defending themselves, more specifically the non-lethal? In what circumstances would they be used? Obviously, when, when it comes to law, we have, we have laws that, that discern when it's appropriate to use lethal force. Does that change when it comes to us as Christians, as believers? That's, that is a difficult one. So um, I believe personally, um, and once again, the situation really dictates it. It depends on the circumstance that you're caught in. I believe in most cases, base case, or best case scenario, uh, in a defensive situation, uh, because I believe, uh, I think that the reason side note that Jesus rebuked Peter is because Peter was being offensive and not defensive exactly in right, that situation. Yeah. So I believe in self-defense. Um, uh, if it is necessary, I would take lethal force. If it's at all possible for me to use non-lethal lethal force uh, and still have no one injured or hurt in the situation I would use non-lethal personally. So is this is this coming from a sense of morality as in you are abhorrent to take a human life or is this come from where I mean it's it's a commandment you know and it's old mm-hmm. law but it's still important that we don't kill people. Right. And I'm sure then it was talking about murder specifically and I don't know that that's, that's crosses. Truthfully, yeah, right. I, I believe it's talking about murder there um, but honestly my reason is likelihood of that person gets saved is very unlikely but for me to shoot and kill someone is definitely uh, punching their ticket for hell, so to speak. Oh, so that's an interesting stance to take, you know, considering yourself to be the conveyor, if you will. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, Pastor, what do you think yeah, when you it know, comes to the role of non-lethal? I mean, it brings to mind the story of J. Frank Norris, who basically shot a man in his office. J. Frank Norris being a pastor uh, had had this man who had been J. Frank Norris had been clamping down on the liquor industry and so many other different things, and so this man came into his office and um, physically threatened him. And J. Frank Norris pulled out a gun from his desk and shot the man and killed him in his office. And uh, and so you know he was uh, people said that it was murder. Um, he was never, to the best of my knowledge, he was never tried for it or charged with it. I think it was all considered to be self defense at the time. Um, and so men of God have had to protect themselves on occasion in history. And, uh, you know, I I would just point out that, you know, for the typical listener who is watching today, um, a real gunshot wound and a real gunshot victim or a real knife victim is nothing like what you have seen on television that's, that's right it's that's absolutely nothing right. like it it's not absolutely nothing like it at all and for those of us who have been in gunfights or those of us who have you know been on the other end of a barrel and been shot at uh you think it's going to go like jack bauer on 24 you know that you're going to dodge and and you know shift and move and all these kinds of things or it's going to be like the matrix or something like that people imagine all this weird and crazy stuff mm-hmm. you know it's not that way at all um it's uh it's 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 very frightening and uh it's it's nightmarish you know because it keep every time you know even now uh it's been years you know since i had a, a particular episode where i was shot at and and even now and i it was ministry actually that that was the instigator but even now somebody slams a car door or or a car backfires and things of that nature and i and i flinch and wince mm-hmm. you know because i can remember almost um uh, you know 
to the second when uh, when that event took place. And so I've seen I've seen victims that have been knifed to death. It is an ugly, ugly thing. It is a terrible, terrible thing. You know, to see someone who's been shot in the face or somebody's been shot in the head or you know something of that nature. It, it's it's really, really bad. And so. so- you know, when it comes to this thing about taking someone's life, it's not as glamorous as, um, uh, you know, I, thankfully I've never have to, had to do that. There's been two occasions where I thought I was going to have to, actually three occasions where I thought I was going to have to. That was always a very fearful thing in my eyes, uh, partially because of what Zach is saying. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think we have a biblical responsibility to defend our especially the lives of our family you know when it comes to property hey i mean we can we can talk about that in a different scope but when it comes to defending the lives of your family or the safety of your family i wouldn't hesitate to do it interesting i don't think i would anyway mr boggs so just to make sure your question is is how when it witnesses they're drawing the line for a christian what is the role of non-lethal defense when it comes to christianity christians believers um so I, I still do think it is biblical to use a self-defense, but as far as like a non-lethal or like a um, a drawing a line per se, um, the only thing I see I've had this question before. I teach I teach concealed classes, and um, one girl in particular said, well, talked about how you shouldn't kill, right? That's why she didn't want her concealed because the Bible said not to kill. And so I got curious on wondering, okay, well, what is Biblical defense. Uh, where do we draw the line? Where am I? Should I not use lethal force? Um, and the only place that I can find that is persecution. Yeah, for what we believe. Yeah. So actually, that that's my next question here. Did and I miss it? You you skipped right <laughs> to it, it, Jeremy. Yeah. Um. Uh. So I guess we'll go ahead and, and then and then after that, I'd like to go back to Jeremy and discuss the living by the sword and dying by the sword. Yeah. But um. Brother Brad. <clears throat> my question that I've written down here is what should the expectation be for self-defense against those who will persecute Christians for the cause of Christ? For It's inevitable. It's, mm. We live in a very strange time of yeah. not very much persecution when it comes to Christians, um, and it's inevitable that it will rise again. Yeah, I think that's going to change. Yeah, yeah that's, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, I'm writing a book right now. Where I'm calling it The Persecuted Pastor's Manual. And it breaks down, you know, from both sides of the um, of the argument, you know, from the law enforcement side to the civilian side, uh, the Christian civilian. If you're arrested, if you are if you are placed in jail, if you're try if they're trying to force you to speak without uh, representation, it goes through that whole process. And of course, having been on both sides of that, I've watched civilians be coerced into incriminating themselves by saying things that they had the right actually to keep silent about. And, uh, and I have seen, uh, you know, corrupt law enforcement officials who have actually used things against people. Um, and so I've been on both sides of this thing and I can only tell you that when it is a matter of persecution, we have no recourse against that. If, if they are coming um, to Brandon Baptist Tabernacle tonight, walking in and saying, someone here will be arrested if this service continues. If they say that, then I won't resist at all. I'll, I'll basically hold out my hands and say, if you want to handcuff me and take me to jail, then that's fine. So there's that kind of persecution. 
Um, we're not talking about violence anymore. We're talking about, I would be referring to arrest and prosecution, so on and so forth. In those cases, we, we have no recourse whatsoever. It's, it, is a, uh, it is an opportunity for us to share our faith in a theater and in a location that we seldom ever have an opportunity to share it in, is that, and that is the courtroom. And so I would gladly go to court uh, and, um, and offer my defense for an opportunity to share the gospel as the apostle Paul did with a jailer, a bailiff, with a jury, with an attorney, a prosecutor, a defense attorney, or whatever the case may be, and with a judge. Uh, I would gladly do that you know, for, for the purpose of, of having that opportunity. So in, in medieval times, there were certainly times when there was institutionalized, governmental, right. active, violent persecution of Christianity. That's correct. Not a matter of, we're going to arrest you and take you to prison, although at times in the past that has even been a death sentence, just a long, yep. drawn-out, disease-ridden death sentence. Yeah. Yeah. But in, in the case where it's likely that in the past they've been tortured for the beliefs in order to elicit a, a, a fake confession— um, if if that is what what being arrested holds for you, at what point are you still going to maintain the yeah. lack of recourse? In, in Richard Wormbrand's book, uh, Tortured for Christ, he told the story of a missionary in Russia who um, um, who had been left by his brothers and sisters in the Lord. He was arrested. And uh, and instead of them coming ministering to his need, of course, in Russia, when when especially you know in the '60s and '70s, when you went to jail, uh, the family was responsible for feeding you. If if someone from the community or family did not come forth and feed you, you didn't need anything. And so this man uh, wound up being arrested for his faith. He went into the prison system. Then his wife was arrested. She also went into the prison system. And the daughters, they had four daughters who were at the time preteen and teenage daughters, and they actually had to go out and become prostitutes uh, so that they could feed themselves. That's a form of persecution. That's a form of persecution. So the, uh, the locals uh, during that time, they basically said, you know, how could you allow your daughter to do such a terrible thing to feed themselves? And, and the response of this Russian pastor was, how could you not have come to our aid so that my daughters did not have to do that? It's a chilling response. It's a chilling response. And I don't know where I come down on that, but all, all I can tell you is that there are clear and precise instructions in the Bible for what to do when the church arrives at the point of persecution. Clear and precise. And they are not ambiguous there's no guesswork. He says, if it's like this, you behave this way. If it's like this, you behave this way. And these are red words, by the way. Most of them are the words of sure. Jesus himself. And so, um, you know, when it comes to the persecution of the church, we're talking about an entirely different discussion altogether. Okay. Uh, it, is a, uh, um, it is forbidden for the church to recant their faith in the fires of persecution. And so um, what Jesus recommended to prevent that uh, to prevent going to that that degree of persecution, what Jesus recommended was, uh, if if you're being rejected in this city, then you shake the dust off of your feet and you go to another city right. to prevent persecution, uh, or to, to uh, maybe even to invent effectiveness, you go to another city. Sure. So it's a long discussion, not a whole lot of that we can you know a lot of detail that we can get into on it here. But um, even in in Acts though, there when they the apostles 
were taken into the court and um, they were they were coined to kill the God, uh, kill the apostles. That's correct. But they said they couldn't do that because it would cause trouble with the the, the people, right. and so they beat them instead. Mm-hmm. Right, and, they, and let them go, and then, then yeah. they let them go, and they didn't retaliate. Yeah, I was, I was about to say I they think celebrated because they suffered with Christ. That's yeah. what well, I was going to point out. But go ahead, Zach. That's what I was about to say. Uh, right when you asked about this matter of persecution, my mind immediately went to the Beatitudes. Right, blessed are you when men yes. shall revile you and persecute, persecute you, you and say, and say all, all manner of evil against you falsely. falsely. This and the, I wanted to look up in that word. Uh, I may say it wrong, but it's the. Dioko or something like that. Mm-hmm. It looks like, and what it means is to aggressively chase like a hunter chasing a catch. So and right. the idea is being hunted down, and, and I believe in the case of persecution, um, I, I believe it is proper for us not to retaliate in self defense. Yeah, I think the the argument that I would have made for it is biblically when it comes to the apostles. And when they were being persecuted, it wasn't a matter of, do I have the right to defend myself? It was rather, it is an honor to be persecuted for the name of Christ. That was the attitude with which they received it, not trying to defend themselves and not trying to prevent it. They were actually encouraged yeah. by it and celebrated it. Sure, well, I mean, well, the gospel a, was shed by the blood of martyrs. And exactly, we and, know and that our, today. And there's absolutely. A, there's yeah. a promise with that, though, even in, I think Paul said in, uh, in one of the Corinthians, uh, he said, um, if we suffer, um, we reign with him. Yeah, if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. And I, I would just add as a, as a quick footnote, because we're out of time, but I would just add as a quick footnote also that our number one responsibility is to make sure the world knows the Bible is true. Right. That's our number one responsibility. So in this day, uh, it is easy for us to just preach it, preach it, teach it, teach it, and the world hopefully will embrace it. But there was there has always been a generation – uh, uh, in which proving the Bible is true means they have to shed their blood for the veracity of Scripture, and I think that day is coming again. More I don't than, think more than I not, that's been the case throughout history. More than not, you're sure. exactly right. Well, I, I don't think that I will live a full life. I personally am not persuaded because uh, I have such a conviction about this subject that I think ultimately um, my day will come when I will have to answer to some charge of staying true to Scripture, and, and I think it's going to either cost me my freedom or, or possibly even cost me my life. Well, I hope you're not a real prophet then, preacher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm willing to do it. Well, um, this now, has I don't been... say that boastfully. I'm just saying that if that's what it takes for the Word of God to survive past my lifetime, then I'm willing to do it. It's a noble cause to die for, yeah. no doubt about it. The most noble cause to die for. This has been a very intriguing podcast. I'm glad that we discussed it. We didn't get to talk about living by the sword and dying by the sword, but... Um, maybe in the future we'll bring that up once more Um, but I want to thank everybody for listening Um, you need to hit the subscribe button and put a comment start a discussion be friendly be nice as much as you can help yourself and um, there's an email that somebody is going to put right up on the screen that you can email if you have any questions comments concerns and definitely put in the comments if you have anything that you'd like us to discuss from a biblical perspective because that is the goal here on Cherishing Scriptures broadcast. Uh, I call her. I'm like, hey, why is my truck in the street? Uh-huh. She's just like, I was in a hurry. I was like, cool. Where are the keys? I've got it. It is recording. I'm like, hmm. Probably better not. <laughs> <laughs>